Chapter Three, Section One of *The Promise of American Life* by Herbert Crowley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by the Progressing America Project. Chapter Three, Section One: The Democrats and the Whigs. The first phase of American political history was characterized by the conflict between the Federalists and the Republicans, and it resulted in the complete triumph of the latter. The second period was characterized by an almost equally bitter contest between the Democrats and the Whigs, in which the Democrats represented a new version of the earlier Republican tradition, and the Whigs a resurrected Federalism. The democracy of Jackson differed in many important respects from the Republicanism of Jefferson, and the Whig doctrine of Henry Clay was far removed from the Federalism of Alexander Hamilton. Nevertheless, from 1825 to 1850, the most important fact in American political development continued to be a fight between an inadequate conception of democracy, represented by Jackson and his followers, and a feeble conception of American nationality, represented best by Henry Clay and Daniel Webster. And in this second fight the victory still rested, on the whole, with the Democrats. The Whigs were not annihilated as the Federalists had been. In the end, they perished as a party but not because of the assaults of their opponents, but because of their impotence in the face of a grave national crisis. Nevertheless, they were, on all essential issues, beaten by the Democrats, and on the few occasions on which they were victorious, their victories were both meaningless and fruitless. The years between 1800 and 1825 were distinguished, so far as our domestic development was concerned, by the growth of the Western pioneer democracy in power and self-consciousness. It was one of the gravest errors of Hamilton and the Federalists that they misunderstood and suspected the pioneer democracy, just as it was one of the greatest merits of Jefferson that he early appreciated its importance and used his influence and power to advance its interests. The consequence was that the pioneers became enthusiastic and radical supporters of the Republican Party. They repeated and celebrated the Jeffersonian catchwords with utmost conviction they became imbued with the spirit of the true Jeffersonian faith. They were, indeed, in many respects more Jeffersonian than Jefferson himself, and sought to realize some of his ideas with more energy and consistency. These ideas expressed and served their practical needs marvelously well, and if the formulas had not already been provided by Jefferson, they would most assuredly have been crystallized by the pioneer politicians of the day. The Jeffersonian creed has exercised a profound influence upon the thought of the American people, not because Jefferson was an original and profound thinker, but because of his ability to formulate popular opinions, prejudices, and interests. It is none the less true that the pioneer democracy soon came to differ with Jefferson about some important questions on public policy. They early showed, for instance, a lively disapproval of Jefferson's management of the crisis in foreign affairs, which preceded the War of 1812. Jefferson's policy of commercial embargo seemed pusillanimous to Jackson and the other Western Democrats. They did not believe in peaceful warfare, and their different conception of the effective way of fighting a foreign enemy was symptomatic of a profound difference of opinion and temper. The Western democracy did not share Jefferson's amiable cosmopolitanism. It was, on the contrary, aggressively resolved to assert the rights and the interests of the United States against any suspicion of European aggrandizement. However much it preferred a let-alone policy in respect to the domestic affairs, all its instincts revolted against a weak foreign policy, 
and its instincts were outraged by the administration's policy of peaceful warfare which injured ourselves so much more than it injured england not only because the pioneers were fighting men by conviction and habit but because they were much more genuinely national in their feelings than were jefferson and madison the western democrats finally forced madison and the official republican leaders to declare war against england because madison preferred even a foreign war to the loss of popularity but madison although he accepted the necessity of war was wholly incompetent to conduct it efficiently the inadequacy of our national organization and our lack of national cohesion was immediately and painfully exhibited the republican superstition about militarism had prevented the formation of a regular army at all adequate to the demands of our national policy and the american navy while efficient so far as it went was very much too small to constitute an effective engine of naval warfare moreover the very congress that clearly announced an intention of declaring war on great britain failed to make any sufficient provision for its energetic prosecution the consequence of this short-sighted view of our national responsibilities is that the history of the war of eighteen twelve makes painful reading for a patriotic american the little american navy earned distinction but it was so small that its successes did not prevent it from being shut off eventually from the high seas the military operations were a succession of blunders both in strategy and in performance on the northern frontier a series of incompetent generals led little armies of half-hearted soldiers to unnecessary defeats or at best to ineffectual victories and the most conspicuous military success was won at new orleans by the western pioneers who had no constitutional scruples about fighting outside their own states and who were animated by lively patriotic feelings on the whole however the story makes humiliating reading not because the national capital was captured almost without resistance or because we were so frequently beaten but because our disorganization the incompetence of the national government and the disloyalty of so many americans made us deserve both a less successful war and a more humiliating peace the chief interest of the second english war for the purpose of this book is however its clear indication of the abiding place at that time of the american national spirit that spirit was not found along the atlantic coast whose inhabitants were embittered and blinded by party and sectional prejudices it was resident in the newer states of the west and the southwest a genuine american national democracy was coming into existence in that part of the country a democracy which was as democratic as it knew how to be while at the same time loyal and devoted to the national government the pioneers had in a measure outgrown the colonialism of the thirteen original commonwealths they occupied a territory which had in the beginning been part of the national domain their local commonwealths had not antedated the federal government but were in a way children of the central government and they felt that they belonged to the union in a way which was rarely shared by an inhabitant of massachusetts or south carolina their national feeling did not prevent them from being in some respects extremely local and provincial in their point of view it did not prevent them from resenting with the utmost energy any interference of the federal government in what they believed to be their local affairs but they were none the less first and foremost loyal citizens of the american federal state end of chapter three section one